Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary. Welcome to today's episode, everybody. Today, we are going to be continuing our series of tips and tricks that are specifically designed for your storytellers and and for running games. Today, we're going to be talking about character advancement, and we're going to be talking about uh, the variety of different ways that storytellers can choose to have their characters level up through their through their campaigns. We're going to talk a lot about uh, accumulating experience points uh, versus uh, taking more of like a milestone approach. And then we're going to talk about some other methods that we have found uh, playing different games that might bring some more options to you, help you level up your players and through more of a homebrew type context. Lee Wanika, why don't you go ahead and get us started tonight? XP is what most of us who started playing D&D started with. The first game I had, we had XP. We went through our adventure there is one XP point per gold piece that you collected during the adventure. And it was obviously your classic dungeon crawl. Uh, and then there was XP for the monsters. First couple games I played were actually you kill them, you get them experience point games. So it wasn't even split amongst the party. It was right, like whoever right. landed the killing blow got the experience. I suspect that's where I learned my love for the thief at the time and now the rogue was because I like that concept of I'm the guy that laid the final blow. Snake in the kill. Yep. Basically, yeah. And anybody who's ever played Magic the Gathering with me back when I used to do my <laughs> Friday night tournaments, I was pretty good for that, too. Yeah, you were pretty you know, good at that. Three-point lightning bolt is always fun when you're playing attack one spell, too. But that's uh, a conversation for another podcast. In regards to experience points, it's pretty simple. That's how I started. That's That's, that's the bread and butter of the game. I have no problem with experience point games. I play in many of them uh, or have played in many of them. And there's just a lot of good to that. And Adventure League is is also experience points page, right? Where it's, it it's is it experience points to the player or experience points to the party? So like if I, if, if our party takes down a party, a, a group of five goblins, is it spread throughout the players or is it? I killed three goblins, so I get the, their experience points, and you didn't kill any, so you get none. Actually, Adventure League is kind of one of those in-between situations, and when we get to discuss other options, I think I'll get into a lot of detail about my perception of Adventure League. Uh, I'm not saying I'm the authority on Adventure League. I have a good deal of experience with it, but in general, it's a bit different. Yes, there's experience, and yes, experience points are counted, 
but it's a block amount of experience points given for X number of hours of play. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we'll dig into the nitty gritty on that a little bit later in the show. Experience points is part of that matrix. So um, it's not where I started. You kill them, you get them. But it's certainly not a straight up milestone either. Okay, cool. All right. Well, let's start talking about. So when we're talking about a, a experience point expenditure type thing, again, we're talking about experience points that are gained for a specific event. It doesn't always have to be combat related. It doesn't have to necessarily be you get the 50 points for killing the goblin, especially in more modern D&D games. It can be that there are uh, experience points for uh, there are experience points awarded for avoiding a particular challenge. You know, if you're playing a, a stealthy rogue type character, then you might gain experience points for sneaking around a particular encounter rather than engaging it or for finding uh, the trap in the doorway you know, that kind of thing. So it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, straight up gain experience points for uh, for killing uh, a, a bad guy, but it can be gain experience points for accomplishing a particular small single event. You're absolutely correct. But what you're talking about is part of the evolution of the game. That is not where it started. Right. And those changes started happening in the 90s. And a lot of people who are older old school gamers who were first edition, second edition, dice hacks like myself, we reminisce about the old days in some cases too much. Yeah. <laughs> we forget that the game was about murder hoboing. Yeah. That the game was, if I don't fight X number of monsters, I don't advance. Yep. Every module was based on the gold you collected and the monsters you killed, not the goals you accomplished. Right. Very much a hack and slash game, yeah. And so in the drive to have better stories, better narratives, and honestly, this is where I left being a DM and started my journey to being a storyteller was because I was a little fed up with just the, you got to kill a monster. I got tired as, as, a, as a DM of, having to put 20 combats in a section of the game because if I didn't have enough combats, they could not advance. Right, yeah. Uh, and uh, that wasn't fun for me as a DM. I think players who played with me during that phase of my career actually had a number of individual adventures and sessions that were not fun, legitimately not fun. Uh, we joke about how bad they were now, but they were not fun. And part of the issue was you can't advance if you don't do this, so it called for a certain amount of railroading. So I wasn't able to do the sandbox game because of this, this imperative. So when I caution, I say experience is cool. That's the negative drawback. It can get railroaded. Interestingly enough, it was another game system, a rival of TSR at the time that really started the change to goal accomplishing for experience points. So, and that was Palladium. Their system had a number of activities in addition to defeating an enemy where it was obvious what experience points you got. Winning idea or a plan that helped save the day had on a chart a certain amount of experience points. An idea or a plan or an action that saved a, a character's life had a lot of experience points. So you started having other things you could do so a non-combatant could gain experience and in some cases more if they were the smart thinker, the strategizer, the all of those things. And I think that's when the game really started to take off for me. It was more than a war game w with pencils and dice. It was where 
true, honest, character-driven stories began. Yeah, because I mean, I think I think back to those early days that you were talking about. So I didn't play first edition, but second edition AD and D was my first entry into uh, into role playing, pretty much in general. I I played some role playing games, kind of uh, one player to one storyteller type games before that, but honestly, I don't remember much about those games uh, or the the sessions. Really, where I came into it was second edition AD and D. You look at some of the rule constructs that are in second edition AD and D, things like how different classes would advance levels at different experience point levels, right? So you didn't have kind of one set of experience point expenditure for each class. Each class had its own experience point table. And, you know, if I'm a if I'm a fighter, I might I might level up at 8,000 experience points versus a ranger, which is going to take 10,000 experience points. And I think that that was a reflection of the fact that the game only gave you experience points if you defeated defeated the enemies and classes which were likely to defeat more enemies leveled up slower than others. You know, wizards would advance very, very quickly because in D&D 2, before fourth level, wizards were pretty much garbage. They had no hit points. They had, they had, they still couldn't use really weapons or anything like that. Um, and they didn't have any good spells until at least fourth or fifth level. And so, Early in the game, playing a wizard was tough. It was a slog, you know, versus your your ranger, which we've talked about in the ranger episode, you know, right out of the box uh, in in AD&D, a ranger was killing everything in sight. And we talked about a lot of the reasons for that. Um, And so that was that was the weird sort of rules construct that you found yourself in in that system is that to make sure that the game was somewhat equitable, players did not level at the same time. And this sort of gets into, I think, one of the big negatives of the XP system. um, And that's the that's the inequity that can come up if you have all of your players at the table that aren't leveling at the same rate or even uh even kind of at the you know within the same level range of each other you know if you've got one character that is gain that is doing all the things and gaining all the experience points and is way ahead of everybody else it creates an inequity in the party that can be difficult for other people in the party to to manage especially when you're talking about earlier editions of dungeons and dragons when as you leveled up you know you got multiple attacks and more more classes got multiple attacks as they leveled up. And like right now, that's basically a fighter thing in fifth edition. In other editions, that was a thing that was applied throughout the class. And so like a seventh level ranger that had three attacks was going to be way far and away better than your third level fighter that only had one and was going to continue to be better and continue to be better at the things that would get them more experience points. Absolutely. The term that we used to use at our tables uh, whenever a ranger was wielding two weapons because a ranger had to be a two-weapon wielder, they had to be ambidextrous, and they were almost always using a scimitar was Cuisinart. Absolutely. They were going to be that. It's interesting. I don't hear that phrase used except for with us old school dice hacks, which is these days. And the reason is that parody issue and it's really shepherded by that experience issue. Yep. You know, speaking of those kinds of things that have changed over time, Josh, what are your thoughts about like planning an adventure at, in fifth edition? If you were running a fifth edition game that's using experience points, what are some of the challenges you have to take into account um, with how you structure your game, how you 
set up your encounters, even though we now understand that it's accomplishing a goal. So role-playing encounters, which we'll get to in a future episode, will have experience awards the same as combat encounters. You know, how do you plan for that? What are, what are the things you keep in mind when you're setting that up? The goal of any of my combat encounters is not necessarily to level my players, right? And it, I, that's kind of the evolution from becoming a, a, a strictly dungeon master into becoming a storyteller is that all of the combat encounters that my characters face have a narrative reason for happening. It's not to go ahead and level them up. Um, and so whether or not they're going to be getting experience points from it really isn't sort of really isn't the point that I start at. And I know I'm now I'm waffling through your right No, And that's fine uh, because I don't truth be told, I asked you a loaded question. I asked you the question <laughs> yeah. knowing that neither of us do that. See, as we've shown on a previous episode, let it never be said that Lee Wanika will not kick himself a question to answer just like I did a few episodes. ago. That was the loaded question. And it was really to bring out this part of the conversation. It's a given. We as storytellers do not do things from a strictly experience as book as written. Right. We do right. different things. Right. Um, some of those are very homebrewy. We'll talk about that later. Some of those are just straight not XP milestone. We'll talk about that in a few moments. But what I thought was important about that question is if I was given a module or if I was given the, the, the task, go to this convention and run an XP based game. Um, and not a pre-written thing, not an adventure league thing, just run one. What are the things that we got to keep in mind? Well, in my head, I think initially, especially if it's more than just one shot, one shot, who cares, right? They are the level they are. Right. But if it's going to be a series of one shots or some kind of mini campaign under those kinds of constraints, you have to think long and hard about, uh, the adventures well in advance. I was going to say, yeah, how, how quickly they're going to advance. Yeah. Because you can't plan three sessions from now, if for some reason something happens and they don't defeat the enemies. If they didn't defeat the enemies, they don't have the experience points, they don't advance. Now that combat that you plan three weeks ahead is too hard. Or let's say they beat the enemies and they beat two other enemies and then they collect a whole bunch of gold. That's not a thing in fifth edition. But let's say they do a bunch of the things. They get all this extra experience points and voila, now they're a level beyond what you planned three weeks ago. That's problematic. Yep. Now that now that adventure's too... Yeah, exactly. At least in 5th edition, you get some tools to go ahead and make... So you can always make that encounter more difficult, but it's really... It's much more difficult to kind of unwind that and say, you know, that creature that I planned and I thought that you guys were going to be 5th level when you faced it, but now you're only 3rd level. You know, it's, it's almost more difficult to kind of step that back, right? Because, you know, if they are... As you were talking here, here's the scenario that runs through my head, right? It's like, you know, you're you're going into the cave and the cave is full of goblins. And, you know, if if you kill, if you if you travel the path that I think you're going to travel, uh, then you're going to find yourself killing 25 goblins before you get to the hobgoblin or the half orc or the ogre, ogre at the end of the maze, right? But if you only kill five of them then that big bad evil guy at the end needs to be less powerful. And so does it all of a sudden make sense if they go through, uh, if they go through that, um, if they stealth through the entirety of the, of the dungeon um, and they don't kill anything, does it all of a sudden make sense that the big bad evil guy doesn't have minions around him? It really doesn't make narrative sense. And so I, I think that that's sort of where that's sort of where I had difficulty with your, with your question, I think is that, Playing a strictly XP numbers game 
means that the numbers have to trump the narrative. And I think that that is something that if you look at the earlier editions, particularly first edition, but certainly second edition, that was a numbers first game. It was not a narrative first game. Narrative first game for Dungeons and Dragons, we really didn't see until third edition came out. It's and, and certainly in fourth edition and certainly in fifth edition, although for, fourth edition was also more of a numbers game too, but certainly third edition and fifth edition were story first environments. I think what fourth edition did, and this is based less on my playing, but more on my research on the topic and listening to other podcasters out there, uh, shout out Dungeon Cast, that fourth edition gave the mechanics and the numbers to allow narrative flair. So it was numbers first, but it gave numbers to allow things to make narrative sense. And in that was, that's why they had the minion system. So you could do plus or minus minions, numbers of minions to make things harder or easier. They also had, um, if you had, especially with the mobs, they had goblins that were level ones, level twos, threes, fours, or, or maybe they were broken up into groups, but basically you could fight a regular goblin who was good, was still strong enough and powerful enough to take on, a party of six level dudes. So goblins might go be good go- levels one through six. Hobgoblins might be good levels three through nine. And you had all these different mobs that had all these different iterations. So any kind of monster manual creature type had multiple iterations that could be used. And so at least narratively, if they weren't at the XP level you needed, you could pick the exact same creature, but pick it at a level that matched where they were. I think it's a heck of a lot of extra work for a DM to do. It's a lot of management that I'm not on board to do, which is why I don't lean that way. I lean towards milestone for exactly that reason. It's not that I'm not opposed to to preparation. Anybody who's been a part of my games or seen me prepare for games knows how long I agonize and plot things. The two games I'm currently running, I was working on for almost two years before the first dice was rolled. Uh, You know, so I do put in the time. I just want to use that time differently. I don't want it to be on a single combat encounter. I don't have hours to burn on a single combat encounter. Those I tend to do on the fly, and I don't want to be shoehorned into three bandit attacks before we get to the town to do the thing that the game is actually about. That's not where I'm about. So no, Exactly. I think if we can leave one piece of advice here is that if you're going to run an XP-only game... You know, heed heed the advice that a combat that combat encounters are going to be the bread and butter of that campaign, and that the combat encounters that you're building, it's always easier to scale them up and make them more difficult than it is to go ahead and rewind them and make them less difficult without making it sound like you're leaving narrative plot holes, right? If you if you introduce four minions into a fight and three of those minions run away, okay, that's introducing a plot yeah. hole, right? And so it's always easier to to make a combat encounter bigger as your players get there. And so, you know, maybe you scale it down a little bit in your preparation and say, you know, I expect them to be level five. They might only be level three. Here's how, here's how I build it for level three. And then you can, if they wind up being level five or level six or level seven or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be, um, then you can go ahead and make that encounter more difficult as you're going along. That little diatribe there kind of underscores the other negative that I see with XP is that, man, it is, it's just a lot of math overhead, uh, 
that you have to introduce not only for you as the as the storyteller because now you've got to figure out you know what are my possibilities for my combat encounters you know how how high do i need to scale them kind of thing which goes into storytelling but is more difficult in an xp system when you don't really know where your players are going to be but it's a lot of math for your players too they're tracking it they've got especially if it's a complicated system where it's a it's an xp per kill kind of thing you know where you've got to make sure that you know tommy killed three goblins and judy killed six goblins and so make sure that they know what their xp is so that they're leveling appropriately and so it's it, it introduces a factor into the game that's away from the narrative and that's why i tend Absolutely. to shine and my best example of how you can get wrapped up in the numbers is a palladium game i ran before i ran my two current DD games beautiful game love the palladium system they have a great experience system because it's very focused or specific XP for different situations that was there. But I was playing a game at a local game shop and I wanted people to be able to come and go, but feel that they were part of the game long term. It was basically a mercenary group. So when people were present, they were the ones called up, see my air quotes, for said mission. So because of that, I had to keep things kind of somewhat equal, but not the same because. Palladium games can get off the rails if people are too separated in a level. So what my conceit was, I would do the experience points for the party. I had basically, if you were in, in attendance at a session, you got a certain amount of experience points. If you were not present, your character got half of those experience points. Then you got the awards off the various charts for different things you did. And then I would allow a bonus experience based on who I felt did the mo- the best RP, who I felt was in, in, a, in who did the best RP or who did some things that were wor- world building or whatever. It basically had three awards. There were smaller uh, point awards uh, that increased as the party, like level one through five, level five through 10, and then beyond that. They, so they were different. Um, the number, the awards were the same, but the numbers changed with the tier of the camp of the campaign. All well and good, but, in this open game, at one point, I had up to 12 people total that were in and out of this game. I ended up, and I was advancing NPCs as well. And I was basing it on, if you call on a specific NPC, they were in, they were at the session. If you didn't call on an NPC, they got half. Before long, I found myself on an Excel spreadsheet with formulas, adding things up. That tabulated to another page so I could print that page and, or, and put it on Facebook to send it out to the group at the, you know, a couple, a day or two after each session where they were. I found myself spending no less than an hour a week on this every other week game, just doing Excel spreadsheets and math. I wasn't even plotting the next adventure. I love Excel as much as the next guy, man, but like that's, that's I am too the much. next guy. And that was not cool. That was not cool. So uh, storytellers out there, for those of you that are DMs, for those of you that are GMs, don't do that, right? Don't do what I did. Find a way to... Learn from my mistakes. Yeah. Find a way to make things balanced in those types of scenarios. If you want to use experience points, I'm not saying don't. I think there's value to it in some ex- instances. But if you're going to do it, don't spend so much time focusing on that that you miss the point that we're supposed to be at a table having fun with our friend. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't let the don't let the administration of the game get in the way of actually playing the game. It's you know, 
I think that that's a great a great rule here. Let's let's move to uh, to milestone because I think that this is uh, a system that both you and I employ a lot. Um, and it can be employed in a variety of different ways, uh, depending on how you want your particular game to run. I'm going to talk about two real quick here because they're sort of the uh, they're the two models that I have have played in or or ran at my own tables. And the first one is everybody levels at the same time and everybody levels at the end of every session, right? And so the way that you as a storyteller approach this is that you plan your session for the level that everyone's at and not everybody has to be at the same level, but at least you know that this session is going to be the entirety of a level at the next session everyone's going to be the next level. It is a really neat and clean system. It it lacks any sort of nuance whatsoever. And so you know, it is, it is very much a, it's very much a system that says, I'm not going to let XP get in the way of anything. Uh, it's, it's just going to be a blanket. You are level eight when the game started, you are level nine when the next game starts and it's very neat. It's clean. It gets rid of all that administration. I can understand why people don't always like that system, but it definitely comes from a, from a point, a place of I'm not going to let the XP get in the way of the storytelling. The story is absolutely forefront and the XP and the leveling is really just a, it's a secondary factor. If, if, if even that high, it might even be like tertiary or, or, or quaternary, right? The way that I run milestone is a little bit different than that, where there is XP awarded at the end of every session, but it's not necessarily enough for a full level. And it is awarded, it's awarded for the session as a whole, right? So I'll say that this session is worth 300 or 400 experience points. And then kind of within that, there are some variations that certain players might get more than the 400 experience points that I'm awarding for this particular session. Um, so far, I haven't really had to run into the situation where um, somebody was not able to make a session, which is good. Um, so I haven't really had to wrestle with the, well, do they get half XP or, or what we're going to do there? I am somewhat I feel a little remiss that I haven't actually decided how I would handle that because I honestly think that if that situation comes up, we're, I'm going to put it to the players and kind of a kind of a revisit. Like here's here's the situation. How do we want to adjudicate that? Because I, I want my players to stay relatively close to each other. I also recognize that I don't necessarily want to reward a player that's not there with experience points. And so I'm not, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'm not totally sure how I'm going to go ahead and handle that. So sort of like within that, you get 400 experience points for this session. You know, I give away experience points for uh, for rolling natural 20s or natural ones as kind of like a your character is learning from either colossally failing or, or, or monumentally succeeding, that sort of thing. And so there are there are ways that you can gain additional experience points kind of within that. But everybody knows that, you know, this is a, this session today is going to be worth X number of experience points. They don't know that until the end. But I know this session is going to be worth 400 experience points. And then any variations kind of within that that a player earns more than 400 is going to be based on on the role play at the table. And we've talked uh, before this cast about about that. In fact, the first time we sat down to try to do this episode, which was, you know, around the time we first started this podcast. About two weeks after we started the podcast, yeah. <laughs> we talked about that a lot, and I really like elements of that. Uh, you illuminated some of the concerns with that as, what do you do when somebody's not there? It sounds like, uh, lucky you, you haven't had that issue yet. I've been running my game for two years, two and a half years now, or just shy of, actually, we're just shy of three years. 
Uh, it'll be three years, I think, in April or May, I think. I've been running the one game. We'll, we'll start our third year. And then the other game is less than a year. I think we're at the seven-month mark at this point. So I have had to deal with people not being there. And I kind of just made the conceit that if they're not here because of real life events, kids, work, school, things like that, I'm I'm not illness. I'm not going to sweat it. Just do what you got to do, right? We'll carry on. My game isn't going to be broken because your character went whatever. I think the groups that I am fortunate enough and blessed enough to play with would not fault any member of our cadre for taking care of their family. In fact, we'd probably get on each other's case if someone showed up at a game table and there was serious family issues to be dealt. So because of that specific dynamic, I don't think it matters to me what to do when somebody's not there. Now, that's a very different situation than what I was doing at when I was in the game store, right? Because that was lots of people just popping in, popping out. And that's the situation where it wasn't such a close group of, it was a different consideration. So I think you really do have to manage what you do for your table, um, not just your individual game, but for the players that are part of that campaign or that situation. Um, and I think you can do things like what we're talking about. The closer tied people are, the more you can have those allowances and have it not be an issue. Uh, the looser those ties are, the more call monitor-ish you may or may not need to be. Just something to keep in mind. For my game, I'm a straight up milestone cat. I just, it's when it, it's right for the story for people to advance. It typically falls into one, to, like, like one to two adventures and there's an advancement. Sometimes it's a little long. A great example is the game I ran, uh, last weekend. The plan was, my plan was players get to go to the local magic shop, pick out a bunch of stuff, meet a cool, meet a, for the second time, a cool NPC. I get to work on my voice for that NPC a little bit more, refine it a little bit more, uh, because that was one of the ones I was doing without a voice changer, um, which I do sometimes employ. But I was testing some vocal skills. And so I liked that NPC, and I said, oh, they need to go to the magic shop. They just hit 10th level. I am a relatively light magic world, but they're 10th level, so they needed some stuff. So They're about to start tier three. Yeah, they need some swag. So so they... They went in and they were doing that kind of thing. But that was the plan. There was also some exposition. Tell them about the big battle. They defended a town in the previous two sessions. They had like three sessions of combat. Then they had a session of role play that was just about story download. Here's what has happened. Here's what's going on for tier three. You know, that kind of thing. And this was gear up and you're going on your mission. And it was honestly, my plan was an hour, maybe an hour and a half gear up. Then it's. The, the player characters were on a boat and headed towards the next adventure, and I was actually planning on doing the first adventure. However, during some of that exposition, one of my co- player characters picked up on a soft thread, and he pulled that with both hands and his feet on the wall, <laughs> exposing some lingering thing. I was hoping it would slide under the radar, even though I gave the players the information that this group of good guy-ish types were actually doing very bad things. Uh, or doing good things in a bad way, and it was going to <laughs> sully the player character's reputation. So he pulled that thread, got in a duel, and it was to the death. Like, there was an actual chance the player character died. That took up almost the entire session. If I was planning uh, every session kind of thing, 
that would have messed up my works. But I do it by adventure. This was not a planned adventure. It's not really going to uh, impact when they advance. Yep. That's that's really kind of where where yeah. I go with it. It's that, to that, me, it's by the adventure session kind of versus session. Yeah, because that's definitely if you're doing a strict milestone setup, it almost doesn't allow for deviations from the story in that way. You know, like I think back to in in session one of the game that I ran because I was running uh, people that were new to the concept of skills challenges. I had written a, uh, uh, a skills challenge where the boat that they were on was getting hit by a storm. Um, and that depending on how they weathered the storm, no pun intended, they could wind up on any number of different side quests, different from the quest that they were actually on uh, at the time. And so they wound up on one of these side quests and they resolved it and that got them uh, enough experience points. And so they're now starting their main quest again for the second time, having returned back and realized that they weren't lost at sea and all that sort of stuff. And But they're a level further ahead than they were when they started it last time. So, you know, it, it, the only reason that, that happened is because they went on that little loop off to the side there. And so if if you're doing kind of a strict milestone that says, yep, at the end of the session, you're going to get X number of experience points and you're going to, or not even X number of experience points, but at the end of the session, you're going to be level four. You know, it, it really means that you've got that as a storyteller, you have to keep a real tight lid on the, on the story that's being told. There's really no room for deviation because I mean, even as I say that, that seems wrong. That feels wrong to say that, you know, like it, feel, it feels dirty to say that I can't let my players deviate from the from the plan that I have set out for them. But that's almost what it requires. It's like, you know, no, they need they need to accomplish X goal and then they're going to be the next level. But if they get deviated and they never make it to X goal, what do you do then? And so in your case, you know, because the because you're building your milestones to be adventure based um, until they complete that adventure, they don't level up. But what happens in your game? So so last session, they wound up on this on this side quest, taking care of this other taking care of this other business, which were seeds that you threw at threw at them um, and they just happened to pick them up and they planted them and they they the thing sprouted and now they're picking the fruit off of it in your advancement scheme that's not an adventure so they've made it through that session but what happens if they continue to do that and don't get back on the adventure train at, at what point do you level them so the answer to the question is what do i consider an adventure to be and, that, and this is how I structure it. It's not a requirement, but it is how I structure it. My adventures are less planned a la module, but they're goal-oriented. So the goal at this point, as set up by that exposition dump in the past session, was the player characters have to go find an, uh, an, an item and return it, and it's going to help the kingdom everything they're doing on the way and they will likely level between now and then the goal is not necessarily no level until that's done i actually anticipate a leveling somewhere halfway in the middle of that part of that will be did the party accomplish something or do a series of exceptionally cool things where i say okay now's a good time to do that or has it been enough sessions it's kind of this weird ever molding and uh, changing thing based on what feels right. I do tend to do it when it feels right. So we have gone at times a large number of sessions without advancement. 
or we've gone sometimes where every other or every third uh, session they've advanced. So I kind of don't have a solid thing on it, but for me, the adventure can change also. If they decide, look, I'm not pulling on this thread anymore. I'm going after this other thread. Well, for me, then it's like, well, when that other thread goes, that is accomplished. Then that's when you level. It's not the specific task or specific goal, but it's the goal in general that needs to be accomplished. The other thing I would say is this. I reward my players in ways beyond experience points or milestones. In the case of that thread they pulled, they saved the town a great deal of hardship. They saved their reputations, and there's going to be many RP benefits for that. And so because of that, even if it's a bit side questy, I love creating additives, by the way, (laughs) there are tangible benefits to what they did there. They all, I also rewarded them with good intel on potential threats. There's a lot of stuff in that conversation, and there was some neat new things I haven't even told you about yet. I got I, I nice. remind me when we're done. I got to tell you, I can't give that spoiler away. Something I'm saving up for our Ravenloft stuff when that comes up, but it's nice. ghostly and it's cool. The idea is they now have this really dark item that they are trying to take care of that they now got off of the the bad guy that they put down when they pulled that threat. So nice. they now have given themselves yet another quest. So yep. while the experience points or the milestone wasn't in this moment, there's a new quest that will also yield those kinds of results for them. So I'm always in the way of giving rewards, even if those rewards are not level. And I, I think non-advancement rewards are are specifically from a homebrewing point of view. They are a storyteller's best friend, and I am absolutely with you on that. I am going to uh, I am going to lead you down a path though, uh, and, and to try to try to illustrate illustrate a point. Um, and so I, I'm going to ask you to go with me here. So I got my backpack, my boots are striding, <laughs> and they're made for walking, and that's what they're going to do. I'm just going to ignore you. That's I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm not even listening to you anymore. Right? So, all right. So we're going to talk about sort of how to handle this from a milestone versus XP point of view. And I wasn't at your table, so I'm not sure how everybody else in the party dealt with this dueling situation. And I'm going to also uh, I'm going to package up all of your uh, your 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 non fungible rewards and put them into a box for right now because none of those none of those are going to help me as the duelist who just had to go ahead and kill another guy get from level seven to level eight. Right there. They're going to be great. They're going to be fun, and they're going to be fun from a narrative point of view, and they're going to they're going to help me have enjoy. Fantastic. But if me, I am concerned about getting my character from level seven to level eight, and I had to just duel this big bad guy and successfully did it, why should I, me personally, not get experience points for that? Why should everybody? Why should kind of that? single action be put into the pile with everything action with every other action for the entirety of the party and then we're going to level as a whole why why should i not get experience that's a difficult question to answer first of all the duel and the individual was specifically tied to this character's backstory and every character at my table has something like that so in this same session four of the seven players at the table had a moment, some shorter or longer based on the role-playing choices they made, 
that dealt specifically with their backstory. And so while he pulled the string that created a combat encounter and made choices that led to that, and it did drag things out, one of the other characters actually got involved and ended up dueling with the second for the guy he was dealing with. So there were two characters actually involved in that. It's actually why it went long. Other players were taking actions during that. I actually had gave the opportunity for anybody who wanted to take actions to roll initiative so that they might be able to take actions or notice things because there were a lit, a whole squad of people that could have erupted. This was solo combat to prevent all out combat. So they were mostly pretty engaged. I won't say that everybody was well engaged in that because that would be a lot. It was not designed. It was not something I set up to be a party combat. So it was kind of something that erupted in the way the role play happened. That's what made narrative sense. So I went with it and rolled with it. And a lot of the player characters within that framework were taking actions, doing skill checks, doing knowledge checks. Um, I did a lot of in-game conversation with the bad guy. Like as he was fighting, he was talking, he was monologuing um, and things like that. Actually, one of the bad guys even monologued and skipped an attack. Uh, and actually, one of the good guys actually skipped two attacks while he monologued. And so <laughs> there was this back and forth um, between everybody about it. And so I think the answer is more about game framework. Because I have backgrounds, because everybody will have a, a session or two that seem like it's all them, I don't think people feel slighted. So the, I guess, if, and if that's the heart of your question, how do you make it sure your players, not just the guy, but your players as a whole, don't feel slighted? The answer is there has to be a payoff. And it may be fungible rewards. It may just be you are resolving a bit of backstory. It may be I got some cool skills and I now have knowledge that I'm going to be able to utilize. Uh, there's a couple different things that, that can come from that. But I try to make a game that has all of those things so that in those moments where something seems very one-sided, nobody feels they're one-sided. From that, I actually learned a few things that I would actually do with that solo combat a little differently. I actually had a little after-action review with a couple of the players, um, and we talked about some ways that that, that that actual combat running, the mechanics of that combat could have been a little smoother. So, you know, we're all learning as we go, and there's always things we can do better. I think that's a pretty solid answer. Uh, and it definitely is going to get us into our our next topic here, where we start talking about some of those options for non-advancement rewards. Uh, but first, we're going to go ahead and hear a message from today's show sponsor. Hey, everybody. Mr. Dave here. I want to tell you all about... Oh, Mr. Dave! Mr. Dave! Hey, Arnold. What can I do for you? I was just about to tell everybody all about the show. That's why I'm here. I thought of a wonderful way to do the commercial. Oh, yeah? What's that? In song. It's educational. It's sensational. It's our puppet invitational. To join us each week for some fun. So sit back and relax. Grab some popcorn or some snacks. And get ready for the show. Sing along and get to know the sensation across the nation. It's a music-filled vacation. All your senses will be whirring and your brain cells will be stirring. It's the show you want to say. It's fun time with Mr. Day. That was a great idea, Arnold.
You can find Fun Time with Mr. Dave on Facebook and Instagram at Dave the Entertainer, and on YouTube by searching Mr. Dave with an exclamation mark. See you next time! All right, so now that we're done talking about sort of the mechanical ways to open up advancement to your players, let's talk about some of the non-advancement ways that you can give your players benefits for both their uh, their role play, R-O-L-E, and their role play, R-O-L-L, and how to go ahead and track uh, other other advantages that you can give them um, at the table uh, for how a session runs. We're going to talk first about another system of advancement from a totally different system than Dungeons and Dragons, uh, a system that Lee Wanika and I are very familiar with from our old LARPing days, and it's the old Mind's Eye Theater system, which ba- which ran on a point-based advancement. Um, Lee Wanika, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so... Within the realm of the world of darkness, you had your various stats, you had your various skills, and you had various abilities that were based on points that you got for your various games. Now, uh, traditionally, or at least the tradition that we did at the University of Southern Maine in our LARPing community, most of your game sessions, you would get one, two, and if you're an exceptional situation, maybe three points uh, to spend sometimes a little bit more if you did a write-up or something fun like that. And you would spend these things on stats, abilities, backgrounds, things of that nature. Powers, yeah. Powers, things things like that. That's what we did. Everybody got pretty close to the same thing, and then there were rewards given uh, in certain circumstances. I learned very early in that game that it's based on influence. That game was based on influence. How any given vampire or any given character of any creature type, whether it be a guru, werewolf, a witch, uh, you know, mage, uh, whatever they might be, influences was king. So if you wanted to know what's happening on the street, you needed to have some kind of underworld skill that puts you in touch with the mobsters or it might be with the politicians, uh, or it might be with entertainment, uh, basically Every character had the opportunity to have these things. So one of the things I learned in my very first session was the group that controlled the most influence steered the plots for the game. So I, because it was vampire and there was a strict hierarchy, was happened to be playing and was just gifted the role, a lead bad guy. He had a very strong group, had like eight people. We were traditionally getting between three and four points a session. So what I listed was I told people out of game, I don't want to take anybody's agency away. However, this reward influence is a tangible in-game reward. My character is determined to be in charge of everything, which means everybody is going to have to spend at least one point on influence every session. I don't care what that is. Nobody spends it on the same on the same influence, and we all we all report to me what you hear from your influence. Basically, at the end of about ten sessions, my group had grown ten total influence because I had everybody in all these areas, nearly every type of influence there was in the city. All of my people had were the number one in their one area better than any other player character vampire werewolf or otherwise 
better than most of the NPCs in the game. I, as the leader of the group, then took two points in each of those things. So I had one thing that I was on top of, and I took two points in every one of those things so I could always keep an eye on my people, keeping an eye on everything else. We steamrolled elements of that game. We didn't have to get in fights with other groups because we simply made sure there were police raids. Zoning rules were changed. Nobody went to their clubs. Bums would pee on their sidewalks or or do things in their yard. We just, basically, I would, in between games, write up all the things we would do to mess with the other groups. And they were like, and then we would do things with those influence to make them think it was a different group. So we were getting groups to fight with each other. Long story short, Every system's got its way uh, behind the scenes way. So we found this one thing that probably wasn't a big deal. The way the game was written by the, by the writers of the game, it was kind of there for flavor. We used it to run the game. That became the focus of how we played the game uh, was that. And I think it was kind of neat and it tended to be something that was done a lot more uh, in the years that followed. That was my first game, but it was being done quite a lot. By the time I was done five, six, seven years later. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the overall uh, aesthetic of a game like that is going to be different than your average D&D game, right? So we're talking about games that have anywhere from 30, 40, 50, 60 players at a shot. So they're big games. And they also, they very much have this element of player versus player not necessarily every player in the game working towards the same goal you know and we talked about we talked about this in our session zero episode with for where, where we're talking for dungeons and dragons where you know one of the key conceits is that these five or six people who are at the table dropping dice together kind of out of game or in a meta sense need to come to some sort of agreement that we're all working towards the same goal in a live action role-playing game with 50 or 60 people that is absolutely not the case. It's not the case that all 50 or 60 people are working towards the same thing. In fact, many of them are actively antagonistic to other players in the game, and that is by design. So I can tell you that from somebody who remembers Isaac and remembers that group of Lasombra and and his pack, man, you know, just the way that they were able to manipulate everything in the game. I mean, I'm not going to say overpowered because you guys came about it through legitimate ways. And by you used the points that you were given in a very intelligent way. And so as a result, you were playing at a different level than everybody else in the game. And by the time anybody else realized what you were doing, it was way too late. Nobody could catch up. I think that that's sort of the big aesthetic difference between a LARP of that size and a Dungeons and Dragons game is that you guys were, even if you weren't the bad guys, even if you were just another pack of good guys, air quotes, you were absolutely antagonistic to another pack of good guys in the game and so spending your points in that way really allowed you to solidify the fact you know it's kind of like we were talking earlier where it's like you know if you've got a seventh level ranger and a third level fighter and the only way that you're getting experience points is by killing bad guys 
That seventh level ranger is going to continue to go ahead and kill more bad guys than the third level fighter, and so they are always going to be ahead. There is no way that that third level fighter is ever going to catch up. Similarly, if I am a single player up against your pack of uh, your pack of people that are all spending your points in the same direction, and you're gaining this many points every game, there is no way that me as a single player am going to be able to compete. I have to either get my own pack of people that also can do the same thing, or join your pack and get in on that and get in on that action. And that's sort of the dynamic that a game like that sets up. Now, I don't think that's inherently because of the point by system, but that's definitely something that the point by system gave. It's definitely an advantage that the point by system gave your group in that situation. Absolutely. If we were, if, if that game was set up on a standard experience point or, or worse yet, in that case, worse yet, even though I prefer milestone, if that was set up on a quote unquote milestone system, so there is an argument that because everybody in the game got one, two or three points and then there were special rewards for additional points, it, it was a type of milestone, right? You were there, you got it just for being there. And then if you did cool things, you got extra. So there was a minimum that everybody got. That is a type of milestone. If it were a more strict XP based system, that would have been much harder to do, but not impossible either. As you said, it would have been hard for anybody to catch up by the way that mechanical system worked. It would have been impossible because influence is harder to get if it's already being used against you. So once we controlled it and we advanced our control, we were actively stopping people from getting more. And I believe if I recall correctly, the lead storyteller in that game said there's a finite amount of influence in given areas. It It wasn't a blanket number. It wasn't like there was 20 in any one thing. It was a specific type of city. If the city had a lot of dock activity, it had influences that went with that that were a lot higher than other things. There's only a limit. There's a limited amount of high society in a city of that nature. At a certain point, once you had it, unless somebody did something to take it from you, you owned all of it and nobody could get in. It was a zero sum game. There was a finite amount of influence in the ta- in the city. So what I would set out to do was make sure we had as much of it as possible so nobody else could get it and then make that and then trick them into fighting each other to get their scraps, thereby weakening them. And then when they were weak, we would take their influence and take them out. That was, that was the, that was the scheme. And in all deference, we were playing, we were playing Sabat. There were other Sabat groups, but of the Sabat, we were the bad guys. Make no doubt about it. There was nothing remotely good about these, this particular group of characters. Um, Interesting thing to note, friend of the show, uh, Ben, a great DM for both you and I over the years, and a DM for uh, Glenn and myself currently. Yep, and me currently. Yeah, and you currently. He was my second in that game, and he was the one that got me into that game and said I should play that role. That was a Setite, right? Uh, he No, he was a Zemesia. Terrifying in that role. Just terrifying. <laughs> Oh. Ben, we say this with all the love in the world. You're a terrifying. You really are. Like it's yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. So the only reason why we bring this up is is not just to go ahead and talk about our fantastic exploits in various gaming systems, but also to go ahead and say that this is an option that you can, from a homebrew point of view, bring to your D and D table. And here's a way that I have translated this to my table. So. Every game, when I go back and I listen to the recording of the previous session, for each player at the table, I list uh, a 
skill or a, a check that they did that was particularly timely or particularly well used or particularly smart um, or that they did particularly well on or, or something like that. But each character gets uh, gets a a skill um, that they or a, a uh, an entry in this poll that uh, based on the previous session. So let's say that, you know, that Timmy uh, uh, rolled a really great investigation check at the right time and got got information on something um, and, you know, or, or Jane, uh, you know, did an acrobatics check uh, that was really cool or, you know, or that uh, that that John um uh, in a collaborative role-playing point of view, um, had a really great, uh, great insight into something that was going on. So that's kind of thing, right? So everybody says, okay, here's, here's one thing that they did really, really well last session. And then at the beginning of each session, uh, all the players at the table and myself vote for who, uh, of the, of the six things that, that I laid out there, who, uh, who wins for last session, right? And the winner basically gets advantage in that check for the rest of the system. So for, for the rest of the session, rather. So, so you know, again, let's use, uh, you know, when 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 Jane did her acrobatics check, um, if everybody at the table agreed that, oh yeah, that acrobatics moment, that was perfect. That was the best role play moment from the last session. Jane now has advantage on acrobatics checks for the next session. And that's the thing that resets every session. So every session comes up with a different list and every session uh, has a different winner. Um, if it's a tie, then both people get it and that kind of thing. It's a very loose system. It doesn't really, it doesn't really mean anything in the long run. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, advantage on one check for a session really isn't that game breaking. But what it does do is it allows me a way to reward great role play from one session to the next in a mechanical way, other than just saying, man, you know, Jane, when you did that acrobatics check, oh, wasn't that fabulous at that moment in time. It actually allows me as a storyteller a way to say, you know what, not only was your acrobatics check fantastic, but here's a cookie. And the cook and the, the cookies are what we're talking about. Absolutely. So I have done similar things. It's less refined as your system, but not terribly dissimilar. Very early on in the in this campaign, the player characters made it very clear. One of them made it very clear that he wanted to be um, the merchant of merchants kind of thing. And it was really like, and these, this is when the player characters were teenagers. Little kid, like trying to like find out what other merchants were doing and talk about the things that he could do. And so he gets benefits when it comes to going into shops and doing things and he does deals and he does all these things and has really leaned into it. That's my forge cleric. Uh, at my table, you know, so he's all in, right? He's got a business about it. He's he's actually become uh, landed and and is actually putting up shops in different places and has other player characters setting up satellite businesses for him and trade partnerships and things like that. So I give him a lot of advantages for material, for knowledge, for resources, things like that. Very inspecific, and, but they do come up from the world building perspective. So he's leaned into the world building. So I've given him a lot of world building type things um, because mine's, my, my game is a new world and a young world. And I want the players to be a part of its growth and a part of how what it looks like. And I want it to look different when they're done than it started when they got there. And so he's doing that kind of thing. Um, I've got another player character who used to read books. Like we were in this lot and I had mentioned, I was describing a room and I mentioned there were some books and there was a little door. He was like, well, what's in there? They got the rogue to open it up. It's like, it's more books. 
He's like, I want to read those books. They were locked. So I want to read all of them. And there was downtime. So he took all of his downtime. There were like three months of downtime reading the books. And I had detailed in brief detail that there was history books. There was these different things. He's like, I want to read the history and the heraldry stuff and all that. I basically said, you're now the subject matter expert in the area on this, because that was supposed to be a secret repository of that kind of information. And so that particular character now does that everywhere they go. It's like he wants the books. Other player characters in the party, they're like, we collect the books. We're giving them to, the, to this character. Um, and it's all about giving him the information that players had to be away for a while. So he now has. Uh, he's now somewhat run as an NPC, but when the player characters have a question or they need to find out information on an area, they get messages to him. Those messages come back from that character. So he's now almost a quest giver in that sense. Those are the kinds of cookies that I'm throwing out. Again, world building or game affecting in that you now have more knowledge. You now know what you're going to need to fight bad guy X, Y, or Z. You, or you may not know what the bad guy is, but you know where he is. Or you may not know where he is, but you know who he is. So there's those kinds of benefits that I'm able to provide. And I think it changes based on the character and the player style and what they're leaning into. Yeah. Um, I, part of that is a factor of background. Part of, a lot of that is a factor of, of player. You know, I mean, I don't really think that anything like this is any different than, you know, like we talked about earlier, you've got players that are just about to go ahead and cross into level 10, getting into tier three of your campaign, and even in your low magic world, it's now time for them to go ahead and start getting some some better equipment um, and some specifically magical equipment to go ahead and start handling the next things. It's n giving them these sorts of, of non-advancement benefits are no different than giving them a magic weapon or anything like that that does the same thing. It's just another way other than giving them, you know, the next level or, or anything like that to go ahead and, and reward them for the work that they've done and at the same time prepare them for the work that they've got coming up in front of them. Which yeah. is a perfect segue into the conversation I promised earlier about Adventure League and how they're uh, this weird mix of XP and milestone. So essentially, Adventure League does award experience points, but it's a solid amount for the sessions. And it does change based on uh, tiers, or initially it was that. It later turned to reward points or something like that. So it became a lot more milestone than it started. When I first started playing Adventure League, it was experience points. You got experience points, you got treasure points, and you can use treasure points to buy certain things, specifically magic items and your experience points, it basically worked something like this. At first level, if you did a four-hour adventure or two two-hour adventures, you would get to the next level. And then uh, or, or, or during tier one, it, it, I think it would be two, four hours, and then you're you're at the next level or some something similar to that. It's basically very structured. You always could do that. The only variance was you could do what was known as long playing or slow playing, at least that's what I called it, the adventure. So you could choose as a player, take half the experience point reward, and thus be able to be a given level longer so you could experience more of those adventures. And the reason for that was because it's measured play, you can't play a fifth level character or shouldn't with first level characters. It 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 throws things off, right? Or you can't play you can't play out of tier with your with, with with other characters. So you can't be in tier. So if you had a character that was getting close to 
the next tier, you could slow play to allow other people to catch up to you so the group could advance. And if you're playing like I was at the time, the local shop had four, maybe five separate Adventure League tables on the weekends that I went, and I went every other weekend, you could move from table to table with your tier one people, the characters, and you could do that. Uh, at one point, we got a group that wanted to Dragon Heist, and which is a beautiful adventure model. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The problem for me was you didn't get to breathe in that city as a character for long because of the speed at which you advance. So I said at one point, I really wish if I had known what the adventure was like, because I would have then at the beginning said, we as a group should all slow play the adventure. So we would get four sessions at, at, at a level or, or more sessions at each level so we could have seen more and done more. Basically, we were leveling so fast, we had to finish the module, and there were parts of the city we never even got to or avenues we never went down because we were advancing too fast, and that is a an adventure path that only goes to fit, uh, Tier 1, basically. Unless somebody then said, let's get out of uh, uh, Adventure League and let's play the same characters in this, in this world using this book as a backdrop, you weren't going to go through it anymore. And that was kind of my, that was my regret about Adventure League. I wish I had slow played more of my characters uh, through all of it so I could have enjoyed more games. You really have characters that advance so quickly that you really don't get to enjoy them. And in some cases, I was advancing so fast that I didn't even get to use all the powers that I was getting on the given levels I was getting. them. And that, to me, is a tragedy. Characters are so cool. Why do you want to advance out of it? So that was kind of what eventually did. The reward points... And eventually they left experience points, called it reward points or whatever. And, and it basically took the numbers. So it wasn't 500 experience points. It was just reward points. But it basically came down to the, exactly the same thing. X number of sessions for X amount of levels is what it really boiled down to, which is a type of milestone. They gave those treasure points, which could be used to buy magic items. You couldn't get magic items that you kept with your character if you weren't using treasure point. That's that's an interesting mechanic. That treasure point mechanic is interesting. So basically so it takes it it I'm trying to think there's a there's a there's a parallel I'm I'm not able to put my finger quite on it where the magic items belong to the player not to the character and so they can take those magic items and and say, "You know what? I don't I don't want to use this magic sword with the thief, because the thief that I'm playing is going to, but I've got this fighter that could use it. So I want to go ahead and transfer it to them instead. I'm trying to think of, I, I wish I could put my finger on it. Maybe one of our listeners can go ahead and point out what, it, if anybody knows what the heck I'm talking about, because like I, this sounds really familiar and I'm pretty sure it wasn't Adventures League, but I, I can't, uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. Right. So in this case, it didn't have to stay with that individual character, but the idea is like, let's say you had 10,000 gold. You can buy anything you want in the game, in that game session. But at the end of that four-hour session, none of it comes with you. I mean, you can buy mundane items, I guess, that would come with you, but no magic item is coming with you. So you can buy healing points. You can buy whatever you want for that session, but none of it's coming with you. And I believe there are probably some rules about what you could buy or what was allowed to be available in, in session, unless you had treasure points. If you had treasure points, you could buy anything on this list that was set up at the beginning of the Adventure League season. Some things were evergreen, so you can buy them at any level. Some things are tied to specific levels uh, or whatever, and, they, and things cost at different points. 
I think the math was off on them because I found that even if you did everything you were supposed to do, there's some things you couldn't buy until they were no longer useful. Like you were basically out of the tier before you could get enough points to buy it. Or just about. Like you might get one adventure or half an adventure with it. And you couldn't buy anything else in order to get that amount of points. That tended to happen once you got into tier two, by the way. Not so much tier one. Math things. That's why I don't like systems that are math heavy. But it was an interesting, it was an interesting thought experiment, which, are, uh, which is what we're talking about. What are some neat ways to thought experiment or to, uh, you know, white room theory craft um, this process? All right, let's put a cap on the episode here so that we can kind of sum up a little bit about what we've been talking about here. So primarily, we we started talking about. Um, how to manage an XP system versus a milestone system. I think the biggest takeaway that we got from that first part is that if you're running an XP system from a storyteller point of view, your biggest concern is going to be specifically your combat encounters because you want to make sure that they're tiered appropriately for the players uh, as that when they meet them. Um, so make sure that you are planning out um, some uh, expandable options and some retractable options in your combat encounters. Uh, in milestones, you know what you want to watch out for. You know is is kind of how do you how do you navigate the issue with um, with with players uh, achieving certain things or not achieving certain things based on whether they're there or not, and how do you manage that? For the record, both Leo and Nika and I both said, you know what, we're just not going to deal with that. Like it's it's just not going to happen. We're just, we're going to forget that that happens, and and that's a perfectly acceptable way to go ahead and and go about it. Um, and the other thing with milestone is that. You've got to be careful about how, you know, where you put your milestones because as a storyteller, it might pin you into one narrative line. And if you don't, if you don't work out any uh, availability for, uh, for advancement along side quests and things like that, or at least work in the, the side quest angle to open up additional quest opportunities and stuff like that, it, it's going to, it's going to constrain you a little bit from a storytelling point of view. Interestingly enough, both options filled with rewards but have a that similar caution you have to be careful that the mechanism you're using doesn't create railroading doesn't matter if you use experience doesn't matter if you use milestone and my guess is people who've had bad experiences with one or the other it's because whoever was running that session couldn't allow the game to not be on the rail. Yep. Couldn't allow the game to maneuver sometimes on, sometimes off. They didn't allow the game to breathe outside of the track. Exactly. I think that's a really good observation. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what, which way you go. You just have to be aware of the tools at your disposal, the cautions that you have to be aware of, whether you do experience points or milestone players can feel slighted. That doesn't change if you're not, running the game with that player focus first. Lastly, uh, one great way to help that feeling is to think about advancement or to think about ways to reward your players beyond advancement, right? Either by, we talked about a couple of mechanics about uh, about giving them, um, you know, small, small cookies that kind of help them and reward them uh, for the actions that they have at the table. Um, but those non-advancement rewards are, can really be the make it or break it element um, outs- aside from how does a character get from level three to level four. It can really go ahead and add some flavor to your table um, and really make your players feel like that what they're doing at the table matters beyond just an experience point point of view. So 
Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com. And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our side quest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented. Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.